okay, dark tourism, is that a term that you are familiar with? Is it something that you are maybe intrigued by? There's more conversation about dark tourism and different types of tourism on the heels of, of course, the story we were all captivated by at the very end of June, and that was the Titan submersible going missing. So these types of sort of dark tourism are now kind of coming up in general conversation. Let's define exactly what this is and talk about why this is really having a, a moment right now. Our guest is a professor in the Department of Marketing and Consumer Studies at Gordon S. Lang School of Business and, and Econo- Economics, excuse me, the University of Guelph, Dr. Brent McKenzie. Dr. McKenzie, it's such a long title, I couldn't even say it without stuttering. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. It, it's my pleasure. We always like to get the full name in, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll give you, your full title is earned. I will give you the whole thing. So let's talk about dark tourism. Let's just define exactly what this means. What is dark tourism? Certainly. Um, dark tourism is defined um, basically as travel to see sites or attractions related to death, disaster, suffering, or the seemingly macabre. Uh, the term itself uh, really came into being in uh, the year 2000. There was a book released with that title. Um, but traveling to visit sites related to death has been going on for, for ages, back to the Colosseum days in, um, in Rome. And uh, basically, even here in Guelph, people would come up from Hamilton uh, for a weekend to watch an execution. So uh, sanitourism is kind of the, the old, more, I guess, academic name, uh, which basically literally means death tourism. Um, but the way I like to uh, describe it is visiting anything from a concentration camp like Auschwitz um, to the other side of the lighter darkness, which would be Halloween haunted houses or ghost walks, which uh, most cities seem to have some of these now. They do get a ton of attention, sort of that fascination with the dark side of humanity that we seem to be really captivated by. A story that really comes to mind for me is the one of YouTuber Logan Paul when he went to go visit a Japanese suicide forest and was nearly cancelled, almost lost all of his subscribers and his income because he went there without uh, without enough sensitivity. But uh, the the obsession with watching that video and seeing what it was that he saw was one that we all... I I think we're really interested in. So why? Why are humans so fascinated by either seeing these places online in a YouTube video or going there themselves? Yeah, that, that's a great example. And um, basically, when you look at uh, things online where actual death occurs, um, we talk a lot about ethics, morality, and authenticity. And a lot of times people feel that there's a difference if you actually went to the site where something happened. Mm. And that ties in with the with the Ocean Gate. I mean, I'm a little surprised because the amount of high-quality video we've had for a number of years now to see the wreckage of the Titanic, um, I would think would be just as good as going there since you were in this submersible and you had to look through a plexiglass window uh, to actually see it versus, say, even going something that would fall more into danger tourism if you go climb uh, Mount Everest, you're actually doing it and you're experiencing it that way. So the fascination um, and the other uh, uh, point would be social media. I mean, people don't necessarily just go to places because they want to experience it. They want to be able to share it. And uh, this is something I've been working on in, in, in a book of dark tourism is the medium still the message, which is basically trying to understand uh, do we 
see see events or occurrences darker or lighter uh, based on do we read about it, does someone tell us about it, do we go visit it. Uh, video games, uh, Chernobyl, I believe, is part of one of the Call of Duty uh, versions. So um, the access to things about death, the variety of ways you can, quote, experience death, uh, continues to grow. Um, so you could argue, is it a supplier or demand thing? Mm. But I think there's always been a fascination, uh, certainly with anything about death. And it seems to be a cultural fascination, you know, whether it's for tourism or whether it's just, you know, obsession with true crime and really wanting to dive into these different, these genres that really focus on the dark side of humanity and really unfortunate endings. Who, who is it for? Who is dark tourism really popular amongst? Yeah, and that, that's another area that's of interest in the fact that if you have some kind of either direct or personal or family connection to a tragic event, obviously you have one way of uh, thinking that, yes, I'd like something memorialized, but I don't necessarily want people gawking or, or, or things like that. One of the examples uh, last, uh, I guess, a decade ago with the uh, Katrina um, hurricane is you could take a bus then to see the devastation. I mean, people are still living there um, but people wanted to be able to see it so the direct and indirect connection to the actual event uh, the Titanic itself I mean we're talking over a century ago as more time goes by uh, there's maybe less focus on the uh, the actual tragedy and then more on the experience and others uh, certainly are interested in history that uh, you could do tours of battlefields in, in Western Europe again since World War one and people that deliver those tours don't necessarily like the term dark tourism because they are very much focusing on the history but obviously that history does relate to death and that would fall into this uh, sector or uh, of dark tourism I've said something very similar to what you were mentioning when we're talking about the Titan submersible is that there are so many photographs and so many images, so many videos of this. The idea of going down to see it feels really, it feels really needless. But I think also the fact that over the course of over a hundred years, we've had a long chance to document it. So is there a statute of limitations when it comes to how long we have to wait before the ethics really come into question? Um, one of the ways I look at it is, is obviously, as I mentioned about, if you have any direct connections. So there's there's no survivors obviously left. There's probably not even many, if any, children of survivors. Um, so that there's a disconnect between the actual event and people's direct experience of that. Um, with a, in terms of a specific time uh, period, I think it really de- depends on the event, but also on the culture of of who's uh, providing these sites, who's providing these attractions. And, and again, as a marketing professor, I'm interested in, well, how do you market these things? Right. And uh, is it just you're feeding the demand by doing it, or is there an educational component? And it's important to remember these events by uh, having some kind of a memorial or a site or a museum. What are some of the ways that you're seeing that they're marketed? Do people just lean in and say, look, this is <laughs> this is something where a tragedy took place and, and this is dark tourism? Or is that always something that's kind of shied away from? Uh, I would suggest um, most places don't say it's dark tourism. And again, this was a debate, um, as I said, I'm a marketing professor, I look at it from a certain perspective, but if you're into anthropology or sociology or even history, uh, you're probably looking at these things in a different way. Um, I like to talk about the, or or to use the example again of the Holocaust, you can visit an actual site where the the horrific tragedy and death occurred, such as, again, Auschwitz, but you also have Holocaust museums 
times. I visited the one in Los Angeles last year. And the question is, well, there's no geographic connection um, to the Holocaust necessarily in that city, uh, but it's important, they feel, to be able to create something so people can learn about it. And I also like to use that same example of education when I have my students uh, teach a course in dark tourism, is they all knew about the Holocaust, but then I show them a video, which was one of the first ones released of the atrocities, and it's, and it's extremely graphic, and they you can see a visible change in them, that they're, they're learning more. They go, well, I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. So from an education standpoint, I think there's less um, controversy of having sites and attractions. But on the other hand, when you get into the kitschy side of the irreverent uh, memorial of, of, of a tragic event, or again, death, uh, there is some pushback. I want to keep going down the road of the ethics because I think that's a really big conversation and a really interesting one. So uh, let's get into that. I also want to talk about is dark tourism becoming more popular and why? But we have to take a very short break. So we'll come right back into this conversation in two minutes. Our guest is a professor at the Department of Marketing and Consumer Studies at the Gordon S. Lang School of Business and Economics at the University of Guelph. Dr. Brent McKenzie will join us once again in three minutes guest, Dr. Brent McKenzie, who has very patiently been waiting on hold to weigh in on this. I, I want to talk a little bit about this because I think what, what Derek is bringing up is something really significant, that really profound understanding of history and maybe tragic history that's taken place when you travel to it. Maybe we just need to be more careful about how we document it and how we share it online. Are those sort of some of the ethical questions that are kind of coming into play when we're discussing dark tourism? Oh, very much so. There was a case, I think, two years ago, um, a woman, a, a, a younger woman, took a, pic, a selfie smiling at Auschwitz. I saw and that picture. on social media. And, and then they did interview her later, and she said, well, this was a topic I studied all my life with my father. Um, unfortunately, my father passed away, but I still wanted to go there, so that's why she was smiling. But the, 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 the behavior at a number of these sites is obviously a concern, but going back to what I said earlier is, well, you need to document that for some reason. You need to post that for some reason. Again, this is uh, obviously my students' generation, less so myself. But I visited Dachau in, uh, outside of Munich, uh, a concentration camp. And again, yes, it's, it's that feeling that you're there where something horrific happened. But what was interesting I found there is they rebuilt uh, one of the... Um, um, the areas where the, uh, the the prisoners were not prisoners, the uh, concentration camp uh, people were housed, and it just had a different feel because you could smell it. The wood was newer, and it, mm -hmm. it kind of removed some of that feeling. But the survivors and descendants of that wanted something built so people could actually walk in these places. Um, the other thing about ethics is a good example. Um, I traveled to Estonia a lot in the Baltic states, and again they had museums after the end of the Soviet period talking about the atrocities and oppression um, from the from the Soviet Union. And then you started seeing these things like where people there would be events run team building basically for visitors from other uh, countries, where they would be quote arrested by the KGB. They would drink vodka shots. They would sing uh, Soviet era songs. So again, the the offensiveness to someone who was still alive and seeing these things going on in their city, 
But the counter-argument was, well, again, we, had, we re-achieved our freedom, so if there's a market for that, we should be able to do it. So the classic, uh, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should, probably comes up. Um, but ethics itself is always a bit of a challenge. Um, but certainly uh, different cultures have different views of what death is, and Day of the Dead is another big one mm-hmm. in Mexico, uh, which has now been conflated with Halloween. Um, and they're very different um, uh, events. So a lot of people, when you mentioned dark tourism, they said, yes, I visited. Oh, I realize I've been to this. I didn't know I was a dark tourist. Um, but as I said, from uh, from a research standpoint, it is trying to find uh, and study some of these issues. Um, and if they are changing or is there some cultural elements to that or is it just um, uh, an economic thing for some of these places to uh, to offer dark sites? Is dark tourism becoming more popular? Um, It's an interesting question because I definitely would say it was until a couple events, one being COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly people weren't traveling as much, and now I guess the term we're using is revenge tourism. So people had pent-up demand to to travel, so they're willing to spend a lot more money, but they want to go have fun and relaxation and those sort of things, so they're not necessarily wanting to um, explore things uh, more tragic and death like that. The other one is the war in Ukraine. And again, as I mentioned, Chernobyl is probably, quote, in the top 10 dark sites to visit in in the world. Um, but are people going to go there once the, the war is ended to, to see that, uh, the immediate afterfacts of what's, uh, what, what's occurred there? Um, so the number of attractions that, quote, would be considered dark tourism, I think, continues to grow. Uh, the focus on being, quote, a dark tourist, I, I don't necessarily think is the case mm. at this time, anyhow. Dr. McKenzie, thank you so much for your insight this afternoon. I really appreciate your time. I, my pleasure. Thanks so much. Take care. That's Dr. Brent McKenzie, professor in the Department of Marketing and Consumer Studies at the Gordon S. Lang School of Business and Economics at the University of Guelph.